Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. We begin a four-week series that will be over almost as quick as we begin it in the month of September. And as I think about faith drift, I think about my time that I took a break and I begin to look at my heart. And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I don't have the energy or the time to actually engage what God is trying to say to me about my own soul. And when I go on a break like I just took, what I find, Craig, is that there are things in me that I would rather not be there, that I'd rather not think about. And if I got like a, a, you know, a, a scan on my heart, what I would see is that there are dark places in my soul that have appeared over the course of the last year, the last two years, the last five years, And I find myself discovering that there is a numbness in my heart that even surprises me. And I wonder to myself, how did it get there? See, the nation of Israel had been greatly blessed by God as we have been. And the reality is, in the blessings of our lives, they do not keep us from experiencing the pain of this life the suffering of this life, the darkness of this life. And when you and I experience these sorts of sorrows and sufferings and difficulties and challenges, we can lean in and be determined that we're not going to let them affect us, but the reality is they do. They impact our marriages. They impact our families. They impact our churches. And so today, we're going to begin in Joel chapter 1, verse 1. I want to invite you to take your program or your Bible or your internet device, and we're going to ask the question today, how do we return to God from our faith drift? How do we return to God from our faith drift? I want to invite you to share our service this morning uh, with those online. Look at verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. The nation of Israel had drifted into darkness. And during this time, God used this prophet named Joel. Now, what do we know about Joel? Joel lived during the time of King Uzziah. Now, when did King Uzziah live? He lived during Isaiah chapter 6. When all of a sudden, uh, God says to Israel, who can I send? Who will go? And Isaiah says, send me, I'll go, I'll go. Isaiah was a contemporary of Joel. And God had richly blessed Israel, and Uzziah was so blessed by God that he, quite frankly, got prideful, ran into the temple, offered the sacrifice for the priest. The priest said, no, you can't do that. And Uzziah said, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. And then leprosy breaks out in his forehead, and Uzziah says, yes, it's not a good idea. 
And all of us experience moments where there's incredible humility that is brought to our lives and we're reminded of where we fit into God's economy. Now, as I said to someone recently, I said, God has given you great favor. Do you see that in your life? Do you see the great favor that God has put on your life? And the person says, yes, I do see it. And I said, do you understand that that great favor that is on your life, that blessing, that if you do not steward that for God's kingdom, eventually the blessings of your life are going to be turned by God into curses. That's what the covenant promise is. I will bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. And do you understand that when you ask God to bless you, you are asking God to increase your stewardship as a follower of Jesus Christ? And if you say to God, bless my life, which I think you should, bless my life, bless my life, bless my life. When God blesses you, what he wants you to do is he wants you to turn and acknowledge that it is from him. He wants you to then go in the world and live out the mission that he's given for your life. But see, a lot of us during this pandemic have drifted away from God. And we see a society that has drifted away. Now you say, were they drifting already? I think so. I think all indications would say that our society was already drifting away from God's local church and from God himself. And COVID simply accelerated the process of drift. And there's a world of people, and I met another guy this week. He said, you know what? We, we just decided, you know what? We got to go back to church. It had been years. And a lot of people are in that mode right now where it's like, I know this is not going to work long term for me, but I'm not ready to go back. I'm not ready to re-engage. And there are three things that every church that I'm aware of is dealing with in some capacity or another. The first is church attendance. How do we deal with this? How do we process where we're at as churches now? Second of all, is the issue of giving. And then third of all, more importantly, is the issue of volunteers. And I want to give you an incredible report. Last week, during our connection weekend, we had something like 25 people step up in our church and say, I want to volunteer and get involved at Vanguard. Isn't that awesome? And of those 25, Elijah tells me, at least nine of them have joined the children's ministry. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, let's give, let's give everybody a hand. That is awesome. Those are great moments. And what I want to encourage you to do, because we live in a society that's looking over its shoulder. Listen, it's time to stop looking back and it's time to start looking ahead. And it's time to look at the difference between where we were prior to a few years ago and where we are now and say to God, God, how have I drifted from you? How have I drifted away from you? I see people wondering silently and out loud, does my faith matter anymore? Joel says, God is sovereign. I want you to think about this. God is sovereign over our lives, leading to his preconceived final goal. And that's what we're going to see in these four weeks. 
The theme is that sin has become the predominant trait of God's people. And here's what God does. God uses natural and political means to bring disaster to his people so that we realize that, you ready? God loves us enough that he's not going to leave us in our sin. Amen? Come on, amen? Amen. God loves us enough that he's not going to leave us in our sin. So when we repent, he restores us to full fellowship. So God sends natural disaster. What does he do? Look at verse 2. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? What does it say about your children? What are we supposed to do? Somebody say it. What are we supposed to do? Tell them. Tell them. Tell your children. Let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. And here's what it says. What the cutting locust. Now, what's a locust? I call it a grasshopper. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. So what's going on in verse 4? There's a series of judgments that are occurring. And what's interesting is, right now at our house, we're having a judgment of flies. I don't know about you all. But there's a series of grasshoppers that God is using to judge his people. Now, I don't think it's a bad idea that when destruction comes into your life to ask God, why did this come, Lord? When the elk jumped into my truck while I was on sabbatical, once I got past the initial shock, I said to the Lord, why? What are you trying to say to me? Because whatever you're trying to say to me, whether I want to hear it or not, I want you to say it to me. And then whatever it is you want to say to me, I want to get to the place to where I want to hear what you have to say. And so in our lives, when things happen, when bad things happen, here's what you don't do. Well, God, you hate me? No. No. Bad things never happen in a believer's life because God hates you. If bad things happen in our lives, it happens for two reasons. Because God's trying to get your attention and get you to come back, or in my devotions this morning, book of Job, or God wants other people to see the him that is in you. And sometimes we have to suffer so that, like Job, so that other people can see the him, God, that's in us so that they can choose him as well. But as I read the Bible, bless you, as I read the Bible, there's only two reasons 
why sorrowful and destructive things come into our lives for we as believers, and it's either to get our attention or it's to get somebody else's attention. And we have to be the vehicle by which God uses to do that. Now, you know what's interesting? And I want you to think about this. Why do you think God picked grasshoppers as his choice of judgment? I mean, why couldn't it have been mosquitoes, stink bugs, Miller moths, flies? Why did he pick locusts? Now, we don't know for a fact why he did, but here's what we do know. And we're going to see it later in this passage. Do you know what the people had stopped doing? They had stopped tithing. And they had stopped offering their sacrifices in an attempt to ask God to forgive them in his holy house. And so, isn't it interesting, when we decide we can't do something for God, God's going to make it so. And so, God looked at the people of Israel and he said, so you can't repent of your sin You can't bring offerings to me. Okay, we're going to make sure you can't. We'll send the locusts. We'll send the grasshoppers. And isn't it interesting how in our lives, when we're having a very difficult time, and we go, Lord, I'd like to do that for you. I'd like to do that for you. But you got to look. Look at my life. Look at what I'm going through. Look at what I'm dealing with. And the Lord says, take your eyes off what matters to you, put them on what matters to me, and I'll take care of what matters to you. And I cannot tell you how many times God has done that in my life over and over and over again. So here's principle number one. How do we come back to God in this faith drift? We recognize discipline is a sign of his love. Recognize that discipline is, is a sign of his love. If God is disciplining you, it is because he loves you. You say, where do we get this? Look at Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son, daughter, whom he receives. If I say to you, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Oh, yes. And I go, have you ever been disciplined by the Lord? No. then either you don't recognize it or you're not his. See, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we have to go through a disciplinary process in our lives from time to time. And so I would highly encourage you to join me in praying this prayer. Lord, whatever you have to do to me to keep me from disgracing you, do it. Do it do it. Whatever you need to do to bring me back. Now, what's interesting, and we're going to see it in this passage, is that when God brings judgment into our lives, 
He never starts with the most severe judgment. He slowly turns the heat up and he gives us opportunity at each turn to decide whether or not we want to listen as he increases, so to speak, the heat on his communication to us. So look at verse 5. Awake, you drunkards. Ah, okay. Now we're getting somewhere. So they had stopped taking their offering to God and they had started what do we do with grain? What do we make with grain? Anybody want to say? Okay, what else? Good Christian answer, what else? Beer. Huh. So the grain didn't show up at church, but it did show up at the party. Okay. See, I think this is brilliant what God's doing here. God's like, listen, I'm your father. You're my child. I own everything. I want to give everything to you. I want you to serve me and give back. And the people are like, thanks, we got it from here. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. Look at Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, the Bible does not teach that you cannot drink alcohol, okay? But what the Bible does teach is that we are never to get drunk. We're never to get drunk. Never, ever, 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 ever. So... How do we come back to God after this faith drift? Number two, acknowledge your spiritual drift from God. So for some of us, it may be alcohol. That may be our God. And it gets a hold of us. Maybe late at night, maybe in the middle of the day, maybe early in the morning. Who knows? It could be unforgiveness. It could be a variety of other things. What is it in your life that if you look at it long enough, eventually you look at God from a further distance? What is that? What is it that when you engage it, your heart gets cold, you grow numb toward the things of God? Now, I don't know if this is true, but I'm going to quote Pastor Richie Fike, okay? And if he said it, it's got to be true, all right? He said that three years ago that the main secular song that was out was, I want to feel anything, something. I want to feel something. And he said the secular song that's out now is called Numb, which means I don't want to feel anything. Now, isn't it interesting that as followers of Jesus Christ, when we wander from God, we go from wanting to feel something we can't feel to then using that same thing to numb ourselves so we don't feel anything. Joel continues, For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth. It has the fangs of a lioness. It has, a, it has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. 
Look what he says in verse 9. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth. For the bridegroom of her youth, the grain offering, the drink offering, are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn and the ministers of the Lord. So what are we to do once we've drifted? Number three, we're to put ourselves in a posture of repentance. Put yourself in a posture of repentance. And what does that mean? Very simply, it means this. You have to forsake your pride. So where in your life do you have to say no to your pride? Where in your life do you have to say, you know what? I should not have been doing this. I should not do this. I should not say that. I should not think that. I should not go there. I should not, whatever the case may be. Where in your life do you need to say to your flesh, no more? No more. No more flesh. No more am I going to give in to your wooing, to your longing, to your temptations. I'm going to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for that sin. Now look at verse 10. The fields are destroyed, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil languishes. Now, hear me on this. The Bible's the only place in this society you're going to hear the next two words. You ready? Be ashamed. I mean, if I had a nickel for all the effort that's put into making people feel no shame in our society, because that's the goal now. I want to do everything I can so you don't feel any shame about any choice that you want to make with your life. And Joel says, hey, y'all people, you need to be ashamed. You go, you mean God's trying to shame me? No, God doesn't need to shame you. We do a good job of it ourselves. We just need to acknowledge it. See, telling people that it doesn't matter what they decide does not take away their shame. You know what it does? It just gives them a low-grade fever, and it numbs the receptors of their soul. And it further alienates them from the living God who can actually change their life. See, to get close to God, we have to acknowledge the shame of our lives. He says, be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Well, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished, the vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranates, palms, and apples, and all the trees of the field are dried up. Gladness dries up from the children of man. So how do we come back? Number four, you let yourself feel the effects of your sin. Let yourself feel the effects. You go, I can't do that because I already feel horrible about myself. No, you don't understand. Sin always leads to repentance. Pride always leads to feeling bad about yourself. Repentance will never cause you to feel bad about yourself. Repentance will always free you from the sin of your life. It will restore you to right relationship with Jesus Christ. Whereas pride says, I'm such a terrible person. I've got to figure out how to be great again. No, you don't need to be great. You don't need to be terrible. You just need to be repentive. 
Let yourself feel the effects of your sins. Shame is good to lead you back to him. It washes the, he will wash the shame and restore you to right fellowship. So look at verse 13. Put on sackcloth and lament, priest. Well, O ministers of the altar, go in, pass the night in sackcloth, ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering, look, are withheld from the house of your God. See, they had stopped confessing their sin. So principle number five, mourn your sin. Allow yourself to feel deeply what your sin cost Christ. Say to the Lord, Lord, can you please rekindle in me your love for me? And would you allow me to feel again the sacrifice that you made for me? So look at what happens. Consecrate a fast. Call an assembly. Gather the elders. All the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God. Cry out to the Lord. So number six, intentionally seek after God. See, faith drift happens on its own. Coming back to God requires intentionality. You will not drift back to God in this world. There are no sails out there pointing back to God. All the sails, all the wind that the world wants to put in your sails is going to cause you to drift away from God. The only way that we are going to come back to God is if we intentionally seek him with all of our heart. Look at verse 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is, where is it? It's near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. Now, you know what the day of the Lord is in the Bible? Ultimately, there's a final day, and we'll talk about that as we get into this series. But the day of the Lord is a phrase that symbolizes God's judgment to get your attention so you can repent so that he can restore full and right fellowship to you so that he can pour out more blessings on your life. Do you understand that God will take his blessings and use them as curses to get your attention? But if you will repent, you know what God will do for you? He'll give you more blessings. See, a lot of us kind of view God this way. Boy, I screwed that up. Boy, I've wasted this life. Let's go back and read the Bible again. How often are his mercies new? Could someone refresh my memory? Oh, every day. Listen, stop mourning the loss of the blessings of your past. Repent and ask him for the blessings of today. Amen? I want to say it again. Stop mourning the lost blessings of your past. Repent and ask him for the blessings that he has for you now. I do believe that was worth the price of admission, all right? Now, I want you to think about this. God's house suffers when his people drift. Look at verse 16. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries uh, are torn down because the grain is dried up. How the beast groan. Whoa, the beast. The cows. I go down to see my cows and they go, what's going on at your house? 
I go, well, what do you mean, moo-moos? Well, we're not blessed right now. What is wrong with you? You need to repent, farmer. We're missing out on blessings. Do you realize that when you and I sin, the house suffers? But not only does the house suffer, the earth suffers. The animals suffer. The more we sin as humans, the more this earth suffers for it. And they are at the mercy of our righteousness or our unrighteousness. And we choose. We choose. We choose. My dog Sophie, she came over to me yesterday and she just like, while I was doing my devotion, just like stood and stared at me. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she just like stood there. She never does this. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you staring at me? What do you want? I never did figure it out. They, they, but beast, animals, they feel the sorrow of this world. They feel it. They're perplexed by it. Even the beasts of the field pant for you because the water brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures. Look at verse 19. To you, O Lord, I call. That's our response. Where in your life do you need to call Jesus? Where in your life do you need to say, Lord, I repent. Would you please restore? And here's the promise. He will. He will. He will. So no matter, and maybe you're watching online this morning, maybe you haven't watched for a while, and maybe you've drifted far. Maybe you're in a dark place. And I, I find that a lot of people are in a lot of dark places right now. And they don't know how to get out. They don't know how to get out. There's so many things that have changed about our society. And they don't know how to get out now. I want to encourage you. Just say to the Lord today, I repent. Would you please restore me to right fellowship with you and pour out your new mercies and blessings on me today? Amen? amen. Come on, amen? amen? Listen, nobody can do that for you. Nobody can do that for you. And let me just give you a little bit of advice. The low-grade fever of anger that you feel toward God because he's disappointed your life is the seeds of the enemy that will eventually cause you to drift completely away and untether yourself from the source that gives you life. Come back. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.